0: Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us for the weekly update on this Erev Shabbos Nachamu. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM.
1: Oh, good morning to you, Nachamu.
0: Hope you have some great Nachamu plans. Uh, God willing. <laughs> you, probably, you probably haven't thought that far in advance yet. <laughs> I'll find out in a little while. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, all right, I'm starting with the good news this week. I, um, I saw that... O- yeah. <laughs> I see that Omri Kaspi, the wonderful Israeli NBA player, actually took players from the NBA. And you know how influential they can be, Malcolm. I don't have to tell you how influential NBA stars can be in this country and around the world these days. Took them to Israel, fact-finding mission, a sort of his anti-BDS move. And it reminded me, aside from your comments about this, which we welcome, it reminded me that everybody out there has a role to play in this battle. And look what he did, an NBA star who could certainly stay in his little insulated community of basketball and not do anything in Regard to Israel, and I don't even know if people would uh, express any public displeasure about that. And look at the role he takes on in this regard.
1: Uh, it's true, and you know this is a program which we helped initiate more than two decades ago. His brother, we went to with Rush Limbaugh to Israel, and we started America's Voices, which has taken by now hundreds of top uh, figures, sports, entertainment, uh, religious leaders. Uh, continues to have trips every month Uh, and most recently we've had the Asian American leaders we've had the stars of key television and uh, movies who tweet and Twitter and Facebook to millions and millions and millions of people especially young people, often audiences uh, we can't reach her Uh, and when they give them the message, when they tell them what Israel is really like when a sports figure comes back and talks about it, and the first thing they all say is this is one hundred and eighty degrees different than what we expected, and they debunk this the uh, charge of of an apartheid state yep. they, they and and there it is credible coming from them because people know i mean they don 't have a particular interest or, or record in that regard
0: and even though many of us of us may not have the influence of uh you know, NBA stars. Um, nonetheless, everybody has a role in all this. In other words, uh, you know, each and every week you're giving calls to action, reminding people about calling members of the United States Congress, about uh, playing a role in our own little BDS fight, you know, wherever it may be, in whatever corner of the world it may be. This is a big reminder that big or small, everybody has a role to play in all this.
1: Absolutely. This is, uh, and you never know what initiative people have taken. Young people have taken initiatives that have had amazing results and uh, everybody should should recognize that they can be empowered and they by taking on the activity doing things you'd be surprised what it leads to
0: no question about it all right um. There's a, uh, there's a report, there's a story that came out in the, uh, I think it was the Washington Post, if I'm not mistaken. It says, when a Washington official on the Washington Post fabricate Israeli praise for the Iran deal, is it possible that we sometimes have to look with skepticism when we hear a positive word coming out of Israel about this Iran deal?
1: You might say it if it's a positive word about anything, but the, <laughs> uh, the fact is that um, people should be skeptical about every report even when it comes from credible sources, because one doesn't know the circumstances. Yesterday there was an incident where a French official briefed members of Congress on the Iran deal, and his comments were very surprising. It was an off-the-record briefing, but two members, the Republican and Democrat, went public because they thought what was said was of such vital significance and importance because essentially they said they tried to get a different deal, and, and the U.S. Um, moved ahead with something they felt was, was not acceptable and that going back would not create a war and it would that they thought a, another deal could be negotiated etc and the french ambassador later goes on the air and says no that's not our position it wasn't said it wasn't true there will be more members today who will come out and say that was what was said mm. by a national the equivalent of a national security advisor to president Hollande of uh, of france so People will now read the the story of that the amb- what the ambassador said will think that the uh, others were not telling the truth or the, and debunks the, the story, when in fact there's every reason to believe that it actually happened and the cover up was because they don't want to ha- start sowing divisions and and I'm sure a lot of pressure was brought to bear.
0: Yeah, no question about that. On the subject of not knowing what to believe and what not to believe, uh, I-, I read an article this week that Israel is. Um, isolated by the United States when it comes to certain parts of the Iran deal. Now, that would seem hard to believe because I think it's all in print now and generally available to anybody who wants it. Are there annexes to this deal that Israel would not be aware of that may not be in the official printed word that was released?
1: Yes, there are uh, parts of this which are not released, uh, the IEA. Uh, side letters that were mentioned this week, this past week, and revealed this past weekend, much to the consternation of many members of Congress. And the first Secretary Kerry said he hadn't seen them and he hadn't read them. And because they're secret agreements, I guess he, he's not given access to them. But their significance is, uh, is indubitable because they, they go to the heart of two key issues. One, the PMDs, which I'm sure by now everybody has heard about. though Nobody knows what it stands for it's possible military dimensions some say it's past military dimension others have other formulations but it is uh, possible and the means trying to ascertain what did the iranians do in the past because if you want to create a baseline against which to measure what has happened since then you have to know what they've done and all along the american position the p5 plus one was that they had to reveal everything and there would be Common knowledge, and then they would, the inspectors would be able to go in with that, armed with that information, and be able to judge if anything else has happened. Uh, What they did inspect is not to include any of that in the agreements, but it's a side agreement reached between the IAEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency, and Iran uh, that um, says that they will provide certain information, and on circumstances, Uh, it's, it's quite compromised. The second part was, uh, other than the, the PMDs, is about the access to Parchin. Parchin is a base where, for many years, the IEA sought access, and it's, it, it's believed to be the place where they weaponized. They did the experimentation for weaponization, which means fitting a bomb to, to delivery system, a missile, whatever, uh, but in being able to have the triggers uh, for it so you have explosive devices involved. And the Iranians put six layers of concrete over the place after taking off the top three, four feet or more of the topsoil because clearly they were trying to remove any traces of radioactivity, meaning uranium and being involved. They poured the concrete over it. They did other things. People have been barred from it. And now they're saying the agreement supposedly says something to the effect that, that the, the um, Iranians will take the samples and they will bring it to the IEA, <laughs> which many have likened to a drug addict <laughs> right. being told, "Go home and bring us a free, sample." Free, right. Bring us a sample.
0: So, Congress. Okay, I, I don't want to overstate this, and then again, I need you to put it in perspective. Congress is basically, and I know there's other factors also, and more importantly, maybe you know those who care about the security of Israel are, are you know thinking about it in this regard. But Congress is basically voting on an agreement where that that they they never will have been treated to 100% of what is in that agreement, right? Basically, we th- we have to assume that whenever Congress does vote on it, and whenever it comes to this final crescendo, they likely will not have voted on every one of the points that's included in the agreement between the P5-plus-1 and Iran.
1: Well, they'll, they'll be voting on the the document that was given to them, right? Which we have all seen. But remember, you also have the... Um, and this is something we just found uh, this weekend, uh, this week, uh, in examining the UN resolution, the uh, United Nations resolution, and we saw there are certain provisions, you know, the, the infamous five years and eight years mm-hmm. for the, for the uh, a limitation on conventional weapon sales to Iran and the eight years on ballistic missile parts, et cetera. Well, it turns out none of this is in the Chippewa, in the joint agreement. It's only in the UN resolution, and the UN resolution has different provisions that people were told. And also, it says that nothing in this document is related to the the uh, joint in the UN resolution is related to the joint agreement, which is something also members of Congress did not realize and did not know. Right. So. When you're right, they're voting on the deal that they have, which is not necessarily all deal. We don't know what other understandings, and that's what members of Congress keep pressing, and they're told there are no more secret understandings, no more secret agreements. They were told there were none before the revelation about these two uh, uh, things with the IEA, but they'll say, look, it's not us, it's the IEA. They have it with many countries. Yeah, but not in the circumstances like this. So Congress will vote in September, and people should remember that that it's, we have to sustain this till September um, and that they will be voting on the specific arrangements unless, you know, other things come up.
0: Yeah. Uh, I guess I'll end up asking you this every week. Um, you know, compared to seven days ago, a different strategy when it comes to dealing with members of the House and members of the United States Senate? Anything different than last week that you would or would not do? as somebody who's concerned and wants the security of the United States and Israel at the forefront?
1: Well, the one thing I would not do, and have urged the administration in particular not to do, and that is to say that those who oppose it uh, favor war. Mm. That's not, And uh, the, the only option to this deal is to go to war with Iran. Right. That is a false dichotomy. There are other options, not just because the French officials said it, but because many others have begun to look at this. If you look at what uh, real Admiral uh, Stavridis, who used to be the NATO Supreme Allied Commander, and now is Dean of uh, the Fletcher School at Tufts, uh, he, his comments into Congress and and expressing um, his opposition to many of the talking points that the administration has used to to sell it, and he he said the key issue is the verification uh he said and it's starting to resemble Swiss cheese. He can <laughs> drive a truck through some of the holes, he told the Congress. And he, he talked about in detail about some of the concerns, but clearly it is not because he wants to see a war, but because he believes that this deal is no good. And then General Dempsey, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, uh um, gave very strong testimony, also expressing his reservations and his concerns about um, about the deal and and said that, denied that at any time did it come up, that without a war, without a deal, we risk even more war in the Middle East. And he flatly denied it it in the testimony at the Senate. And he said, no time did that come up, nor did I make that comment, which had largely been attributed to him as well. And he goes on to to raise concerns about... um, uh, the sale of parts, the, the ballistic missile and other things being, and what the release of money, which the administration now says is not $150 billion, but would be 50 to $60 billion, which is in banks worldwide, although I think that the larger number includes other resources, not just the money that's being held in escrow, uh, and others who estimate that it could go even uh, much higher. So he says that the funds will be used to to fund the country's malign activities, he called it, including su- support for Assad and funding Hezbollah and Hamas and uh, all sorts of uh, other activities. And I-, I interviewed somebody last night on the about the um, on the issue of Latin America, and they talked about how the expansion of Iranian activities there will be augmented by the inflow uh, of funds. <laughs> so bottom line is that we're not in the same place we were last week. We had a a day of lobbying by 700 people. Many delegations have gone beyond that to to Washington, have talked to the members of Congress. Some have come out, uh, some in favor of the deal, some opposed to the deal. I think people should monitor that. And before anybody comes out uh, in the coming weeks, now that the members of Congress will be coming home, to please make sure you visit them, that you hear uh, hear their views, that you invite them to gatherings at, uh, in a home or in a synagogue or in a community center so that the members of Congress have to explain their thinking. What they're going to do This should be done responsibly, and it's not a pers- personal battle against anyone. Uh, people can differ on issues, but because of the significance of this, you have uh, uh, about a month, but many of the people will be on, many members go on vacation during that time, so make sure you make an appointment, put bring together a group of people, read the material, know what you're talking about, and go and talk to them about what they're going to
0: do. And don't be uh, and be very careful about tone. If there's one thing we know, it's that some public officials resented the tone of the gathering in New York City. You mentioned that uh, that you questioned some of the tone that's uh, been out there and some of the rhetoric. It's got to be done with great respect. It's got to be done. With calm and uh, showing the seriousness of it and not flying off the handle, so to speak. So, people should be very careful about that.
1: Exactly. And it, uh, you know, the, this is not going to end with this. Oh, we have to think about the day after. We have to think about how we. Um, uh, how we will relate to people afterwards, and the ongoing concerns that we all have and are working
0: on. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored, WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Malcolm Honline with us on this Erev Shabbos Nachamu. He's executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Big special greeting to those tuned in around the world on the NSN app. By the way, an app commenter says that Dory Gold this week referred to our Sunni Arab allies. And this listener asks if Sunni Arab states overtly could cooperate if there is an Iran strike led by Israel. What's your reaction to that?
1: Good question. Uh, It was actually done at a meeting of the Conference of Presidents, and we hosted uh, Dory and... Amos Yadlin, and I, I mention this because it's really important to understand that in Israel it's cross the board opposition amongst the political parties. Amos Yadlin would have been the defense minister, had labor won. He's the head of the Institute for Studies at, uh, in Tel Aviv, and he's a highly respected analyst. He was one of the pilots who bombed Osirak uh, and later became head of military intelligence. A, lay, a labor official, uh, obviously, Dory is associated with the Likud, and yet their message was the same about the concerns on this deal. It could be difference in nuance, difference in tone, but fundamentally uh, on the same page. And Dory, in his remarks, talked about our Sunni allies referring uh, to some in the region who now associate much more with Israel because they feel alienated from the West. They, they are livid about this agreement. They don't Tend to grandstand it and uh, unfortunately don't make their views known as public. Uh, but I know what they say in privately, I know what many Arab leaders and others have said to me. So the um, uh, uh, the comment that he made is, uh, I think, a very uh, appropriate description of, of an interesting side development in
0: this saga. And could it go that far? Is it possible down the road that if there's military action, they could participate? or we just don't know at this point? Well, they're not
1: going to participate openly. I I, I think I told you that a year ago an Arab leader said to me, we pray for Israel, we'll condemn them, but we pray for them, meaning to to take on, quote, the enemy. And the enemy is Iran. And so for the time being, and and no one should be fooled that this represents a long-term change, we don't know. But for now, certainly, look at the relationship with Egypt, look at the cooperation against Hamas, what they're doing about the Sinai and about Gaza together. Because it's a common interest, it doesn't mean that the the government has all of a sudden switched and become so pro Israel. But CC is a pragmatist; he has cooperated. Israel has helped him a great deal too, and the stability of Egypt is, is an interest of Israel. Um, but you see also some of the changes in other Arab quarters. I've uh, come to realize that Israel is the source of stability, not instability.
0: Yeah, uh, I got to ask you about Jonathan Pollard because so many people. Have asked me to ask you at this point, because initially uh, you, I think rightfully so, you know, said that we got to be very careful, anything could happen between now and November. Is it still anything could happen between now and November, or is there less hesitation about discussing his imminent release?
1: Um, well, I think that it's changed this week with the uh, statement by the uh, Parole Commission people on the parole board unanimously voted to to release him that is the formal action that we were waiting for right. uh, and the date is november it, to do it earlier i think needs the presidential commutation and it will need it for also for the um if if he's going to be allowed to leave right now at least for five years he's, he's not allowed to leave the country
0: and that will you're confident be strictly enforced
1: Right now that will be in force, and I think Jonathan right now will, will probably just uh, will come. I, I, I heard that it will come to New York, or maybe someplace else. One of the things I think he and they want to avoid is a big productions when he gets out. I think he wants and recognizes the importance of low-keying it, um, and all the well people should keep that in mind and follow whatever he uh, He says and decides, but we have several months till till we face it, and his lawyers have done a great job, Elliot Lauer, uh, Jack Summerman and others, um, and uh, this is something we've all been deeply involved and interested in. I think now we should let it go, because I think there will be efforts to build up opposition to it. Uh, As you know, there are still many in the government, and they exploit this and and use this for anti-Israel propaganda purposes uh but as of now uh, the deal is done the parole it wasn't a concession it was not something linked to the the iran deal it's not something they gave for that because this date was set 30 years ago when he was sentenced They could have kept him there longer they could go beyond that if if the parole board had turned it down but they didn't thank god and uh, he will be let
0: out hopefully. Mm. I, I guess I'll wait the three and a half months to, to ask you more about this publicly but, um, but we'll, I'm sure we'll talk more about this process as we get closer and closer and hopefully for him it'll go by very quickly I think these things tend not to at this stage but hopefully for him in fact they will um, is, is Turkey becoming a United States staging area against ISIS what, what exactly is happening how is the rest of the Middle East reacting uh, to the US setting things up for a continued battle with ISIS in Turkey.
1: Well, this is uh, a very complicated and long-term issue because uh, Erdogan, the crazy leader of Turkey, um, has been playing games with ISIS. He could have blocked them early on. He did not. When they went using Iran and Turkey as a way to get into Syria and uh, where they made money with uh, whatever other reasons, uh, because it was anti-Assad and they wanted to bring down Assad, they played games with it, but, the, uh, but now uh, all of a sudden they see that, tur- that the ISIS was threatening Turkey, was creating uh, in- uh, incidents across the border in Turkey, and the influx of refugees. So they're trying to seal the border now, uh, but the problem they run into is that you also have the Kurds there, and the Kurds have been a very effective fight force against the uh, ISIS yet, but you know that Turkey has a long-standing battle with them, and fears an independent Kurdistan, Uh, the PKK, which was a terrorist organization designated by, I guess, the West as well, um, which is now uh, playing a key role in the fight against the ISIS uh, forces. Um, And so Turkey, in in some of their activities, have also bombed uh, Kurdish locations. And uh, the Kurds are now in the best position they've ever been to get some sort of autonomy or recognition, especially in, in, you know, they are spread in in Iraq and Iran and Turkey and Syria, uh, and would like to carve out a state between them. The countries obviously would oppose that, but there's a real potential. They've they've gained autonomy in Iraq. They have some of the oil areas under their control, and they have proven to be the effective uh, fighters when given enough equipment. So the... Turkey's position is really based on its own self-interest. It was from first a supporter of Assad, then they went against Assad, now they want to with, uh, bring down Assad uh, for their interests. And remember that they also have the Germanic d- d- designs on the region, which uh, and he, he has had a lot of setbacks domestically. There's talk about going to another election and the Kurds were the ones who switched their allegiance uh, away from the AKP, his party, and denied him the majority, the supermajority he wanted in order to change the Constitution and install himself as a president with really great powers.
0: Well, they didn't like the fact that he was affiliated with so many radicals, right?
1: That uh, Er Erdogan um, plays games with everybody, and for for a long time he was uh, the person the president most often spoke to amongst foreign leaders. Uh, I know that has uh, changed. The man is, is certifiably nuts, and he's... He says crazy things. He still engages in anti-Semitic and anti-Israel uh, vehement rhetoric, and so do other officials in, in his government. So Turkey, which was not long ago an ally of Israel, has, uh, you know, the relationship is very contentious.
0: But, that, but this leads to a bigger question. If the United States wants a greater military presence against ISIS, right? if they want to take them on more head-on than they have in, in, you know, until this point, is Turkey a key for them? Are there other countries that are more important for them to, you know, to set up as a staging area, so to speak? What would With the U.S.? Yeah.
1: But Turkey is the is the only border country that, um, and within the proximity, so that the, the, their base is a good staging ground for American flights going into areas along the, the Turkish border closer to to Turkey and northern Syria. So it's it's strategically a uh, very key place. Obviously, they can fly from uh, others, but the logistics become more complicated.
0: All right. Is there going to be a, uh, a ramped-up military effort by the United States against ISIS?
1: I think so, but it's it's pretty intense now. I mean, you have bombings going on all the time, and uh, but it's it's the forces on the ground. They can only play support role to the forces on the ground, which are primarily, as I said, Kurdish and a few others, but... Uh, and there and there's fighting going on in so many areas. Remember, Syria is not a small country, and uh, you have um, and you have contending forces. You have Al Qaeda, you have Hezbollah, you have the rebels, you have different rebel groups, uh, and uh, ISIS, of course. So it's a mess.
0: <laughs> it certainly is. Why is it always so hard to get confirmation about Samir Kuntar and whether he was really taken out or not?
1: Uh, probably because there are plenty of them. <clears throat> Around they keep a supply of Sami Kuntar's, but they, <laughs> Israel took out a car. I think that he was one of the targets. They killed five people. There were three uh, Druze uh, rebel leaders, radicals associated with Assad terrorists, uh, uh, amongst them. And uh, Sami Kuntar was in Israel's hands and released. Uh, has been responsible for the deaths of a lot of people, and he's been an ongoing target.
0: Uh, we know what happened today in Israel. This uh, arsonist, who suspected in the attack that killed a uh, Palestinian toddler, as the New York Times puts it. We also know what happened yesterday in uh, in Jerusalem. The stabbing, the multiple stabbings that took place. Uh, you know, I I, 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 how do I put it? I, um, I don't see the benefit of radical behavior and uh, and extreme. Acts that lead to um, uh, to murder and violence. I, d- I don't see how any of this ever benefits uh, the Jewish people or the people of Israel in the big picture.
1: It, it only doesn't help by any definition, but it's extremely detrimental. It has to be condemned by everyone, by everyone, and especially those who take a strong position on territorial issues should be out there because this hurts the cause. More than anything virtually that could happen, Uh, you see how the Europeans, the world, and this gives them an excuse to try and demand additional steps be taken, you know, maybe by outside intervention uh, when you've had a series of of these attacks. And the fact that the Arabs uh, carry out many more attacks than this and responsible for uh, all sorts of acts of violence is not an answer to it. And Israel will always be held to a different standard. And the fact that it could be some lone guy or some small cell that... uh, uh, of the uh, extremists and crazy people who, who carry this out um, it, the price paid by will be paid by all of Israel and by Israel standing in the world and you will see the reactions uh, today from the Europeans from the other arab countries uh because of the death of this child and and there's just no justification for it it's when people you know take the law into their own hands and uh i hope people will speak out about it the um uh, you know, there's, the, the, there are a lot of things that happen. Uh, you know, how involved we've been with Haraz with the Mount of Olives, and seeing the terror attacks there. Uh, we've seen uh, the attacks on the railroad going on. We've seen the stabbings of, of Israelis in different places.
0: Yeah, don't forget Harabayat this week also.
1: And Haribayat, of course. and and But none of that justifies. The police and the government of Israel has to do everything possible to stop it and to, to bring to justice those who commit any act of, of terrorism of this kind.
0: Mm, no question about it. By the way, earlier you mentioned the—sorry uh, to go back to uh, bounce around to this topic— you mentioned the Iranian influence in Latin America um, in the context of the uh, conversation we were having earlier. Uh, and that's in addition—I just wanted to make that point—it's in addition to everything that you've mentioned in the past about South America— Right, this is not. This is, in other words, not an isolated area. It seems that their influence just continues to spread in that part of the world.
1: And, and think of what will happen when they get this tremendous influx of money and will increase their ability. I, I spoke uh, last night with a, a top expert, a uh, young man that we found who, who's writing a source of information. Uh, he's a Peruvian, uh, or, no, Bolivian but uh, quite brilliant, and now Washington, who who focuses just about Iran's, primarily about Iran's infiltration. And it is so astounding that no matter how much we know and how much we think we know about it, he always has uh, more information about it. And and they talk openly about their activities in Latin America, and particularly of interest to him is Mexico. But we saw it in Argentina. We see the changes in Chile, which have been pro-Israel, but uh, there's a big change there as well in the attitudes and the public opinion, and, and the government. And I think they, um, uh, you know, they estimate that Iran has 40,000 agents in South America. 40,000. What? Yes. And it, uh, Where are they trained? You can Google it, and you can see articles about it. And they've been placed in Bolivia, Brazil, Guatemala, Nicaragua, Ecuador, Venezuela. And they're mostly former interrogators and torturers and security forces and members of the Quds force so they train in uh, in uh, Iran and some of them um, are Afghanis or Lebanese etc and they they're there and I, 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 I you know when you see the numbers and I told you that they've opened 80 new cultural centers which are just bases uh, for operation and you many of them have three four hundred people or less but you, you take the cumulative impact of this and how their network has grown and has that many agents uh, who are involved in activities and not there, you know, for pleasant purposes. And we know it started in Venezuela with Chavez, and, uh, who was a close friend of, uh, of Iran, um, and then it went to Bolivia and the other uh, countries in that coalition, uh, uh, in which, by the way, Iran is a member
0: Member, I would think that they practically it's are cha-
1: of, of, of Bolivarian uh, countries. Oh, okay. <laughs> I
0: was I was going to say they should assume the chairmanship at this point, but I guess <laughs> I guess you got to be Bolivian to do that,
1: right? Uh, well, Bolivarian means all those countries that uh, you know, is also Bolivarian uh, Republic or something.
0: Yeah, it just doesn't extend to the Middle East. That's all.
1: So now we'll have everybody rush to the books and try to remember <laughs> who Bolivar was. <laughs> Let's yeah, see if the, get some good emails on that.
0: There's likely one person in this conversation who knows. Uh, finally, um, uh, the, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu did approve, after the uh, judge's ruling about the demolition of buildings in, uh, in Beit El, did approve of uh, 300 new housing units. Do you agree with M.K. Khotavelli that the Netanyahu government will in fact back more settlement building?
1: He, he announced it announced the new housing, uh, new settlement housing. and. No, uh, meaning post. it's going to be
0: an aggressive push?
1: Uh, there could be. There will be a lot of resistance coming from outside. There will be a lot of anger uh, directed at them from the... Uh, From the Europeans, the United States, I'm sure the U.N., everybody else will will jump on it. And usually this means that the housing, by the way, doesn't get built for years. It's just usually approvals and not actual construction. And the word was that construction has been cut back dramatically in in those areas. And it also could be in the consensus areas, meaning the areas that everybody agrees will remain with Israel, which should be permissible. Even Americans have said that in, in the past. Uh, that those areas uh, could remain, but no doubt that it will be exploited. By the way, we should mention that Congresswoman Meng uh, yes. came out against the deal today. Yeah, she's again, great. Uh, and that she her people in Queens should let her know. Yes. How much they appreciate it. And if you don't live in Queens, you can let her know that you appreciate the, the stand she's
0: taken. Yes, yeah, she is great. All right, uh, Malcolm, go make your Nachamu plans, and we'll speak. Uh, have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak Amir Tashem next week. Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly updates Fridays here at JM in the AM.